Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. Uh, I am Simon. I'm Lee. We are officially in April. Dun, 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 dun. It's April. Um, Please never do that again. As you know, because we uh, released an episode on Friday on our 5x5 five five top 5 movies that were from the decades that we were born. Released on April Fool's Day. Boom. Um, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed our list of favourite movies from the 80s and the 90s. Um, we are back this week with our first official movie review of April. In case you did not realise, if you did listen to the last episode, uh, we are doing a month solely dedicated to Lee because she turns 30 this month. Don't tell me um, how old I am, please. So we are letting Lee pick all of the movies, which, as I'm sure you'll come to realise, through the course of this episode, next week's episode, the week after, and then the last episode, that's a fucking terrible idea. <laughs> we have got some shit coming up for you this month. Um, but yeah, so last week's episode concluded our remakes month, and it was on the 2011 remake of Fright Night. Today, we are back with a movie celebrating its 20th anniversary. We are here to talk about some new metal vampires. We are here to talk about Queen of the Damned. We are indeed. <clears throat> so, I'm going to let you start with this episode like I do every episode. Uh, talk me through why we picked Queen of the, you picked Queen of the Damned for this episode. Basically, my plot this month was that I wanted to do as many trashy, underworld, filtered. filtered movies as I could, because then what I grew up watching. Mm -hmm. So I saw Queen of the Damned for the first time when I was maybe eleven. Yeah, well, it came out in two thousand and two, so you'd have been ten when it came out. I think I was eleven because we rented it from Sky Cinema. How long ago this was? I actually read it Sky from Store. Sky Cinema. Um, from Sky Store. Um, and I watched it with my mum and my stepdad at the time. Nice. And I... 11-year-old me thought this was a fucking masterpiece. It had rock music. It had sexy men playing vampires. I was into it. And then I read the book and I was like, ah... Oh. Shouldn't have been as into that as I was, but it's okay. Do you know what's really funny? We were both similar ages when we saw... The respective movies in this franchise because I was like nine or ten when I first saw Interview with a Vampire, <laughs> and that movie fucking bangs. It does bang, that is very true. But yeah, so I kind of wanted to cover a film that's quite nostalgic for me. Like, uh, Simon did tell me off while watching this because he told me he did, if I was not the director, he did not need commentary <laughs> because I know this film literally by heart. I can quote this film line for line because I have seen it a lot. Is it trashy? Is it shit? Yes. Is it a bad adaptation of a Queen of, of um, an Anne Rice book? Yes. Does they do they betray everything the characters stand for and half of the characters that are in this film? Yes. Does it have a bopping soundtrack? Yes. Do I still love this film even knowing all of that <clears> stuff <throat> about it? Fucking do, man. It's trashy as fuck, but I do love it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I made you sit and watch it with me. Mate, I'd already seen it. I know. I've seen this movie so many times. I saw this movie <clears throat> when it came out of the cinema here in the UK. In fact, I will take a picture. Um, I have a scrapbook here in the house, which I showed you the other day. 
I'm gonna take a picture for the folks at home so they can see that I'm not bullshitting. And I, you have your ticket, don't you? I have a cinema ticket for this movie in this book, um, and it is like from the day I went to see it at the cinema. Uh, where is it? It's in here somewhere. I'll take a picture and I'll show everyone. Um, so yeah. there, there it is. Queen of the Damned. I saw this movie on a Sunday, April the something, 2002. I can't see it because the well, ticket So you is... saw it really close to release then? Yeah, well, it came out about a month before in the... St- yeah, 14th of April, 2002. So basically nearly 20 years ago, I was at the cinema watching this movie with my sister. Cute. Having just seen uh, Blade like two weeks before. Blade 2 came out two weeks before. Um, which is interesting, actually. We'll talk about like Blade in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I... I saw this movie when I was... This movie would have come out when I was 17. Um, And I took my sister to see it. Because my sister was like a massive goth. Uh, I mean, to be fair, we both kind of were when we were kids. But my sister was really into like vampirism and witchcraft and all that sort of stuff. And she loved the first movie. And she like... Much like you, I think she likes the books. I don't think she's read all of them. But she'd read enough of the books to be like, I want to see this movie. So we went and saw it. And... It's a, it, it's hard for me to critique this movie as an adaptation of the source material because I've never read any uh, Anne Rice books. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. Big Anne. Um, but as a vampire movie, I, d- like, I don't understand whose idea it was to... I, I'm assuming this all came out in the wake of Blade, which we took. This is what we talked about when Dracula 2000 came out. Mm-hmm. Blade's got the leather trench coat, the fucking sunglasses. Everybody's dancing to rave music and dressing mm-hmm. like they're all in a goth club. See then Dracula 2000. See this. See Blade 2. See Underworld. At some point, at the turn of the millennium, somebody went, Vampires need to be rock stars. Vampires need to look like alternative goth club models. They all need to look like they shop at Hot Topic. And they all look like they need to listen to fucking Rob Zombie. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand at what point that happened. But it's really frustrating. And it's really annoying to watch this movie. And you could quite easily change Lestat's character name. And this movie bears no relevance to Interview with a Vampire whatsoever. It is the most generic, white bread, vanilla version of, like, Anne Rice's material and the characters that were portrayed in Interview with a Vampire. You could not get further portrayals between Tom Cruise's version of Lestat and Stuart Townsend's if you fucking tried. There is absolutely no way that Tom Cruise's character from Interview with a Vampire is the same character that is in this film. They both are Lestat. No, let's not get into this yet, because I want to do the cast list and everything, and then we'll talk about the character portrayals between the two movies, because we're jumping way ahead, because Mm. I know you just don't really want to talk about Queen of the Dead. All I'm saying is, Tom Cruise was more stat, and Stuart Townsend was less stat. Okay, let's do the cast listing and stuff and then you can start making puns. How about that? (laughs) So, this movie was written 
by Scott Abbott and Michael Petroni, based on characters and novels by Anne Rice, directed by Michael Reimer, and cast-wise we have Stuart Townsend as Lestat, Marguerite Moreau as Jessie, Alia, 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 I can never pronounce her name for some reason, Alia as Akasha, Vincent Perez as Marius, Paul McGann, yes, that Paul McGann, <laughs> as David Talbot, Lena Olin as Maharet, Christian Manor as Mael, Claudia Black as Pandora, Bruce Spence as Kaiman, Matthew Newton as Armand, and then Tyrell Moira as Roger. Wait, Claudia Black from Farscape's in this? Yeah, she plays Pandora. How do I... Like, she must look really different in this movie. She's literally the one that I sat there and went, babe, she doesn't even die in the books. It's really irritating. Yeah, I didn't recognise her, though. I would, like, no way have put two and two together. Yeah, so that's Claudia Black. Um, I don't know if she's in any photos to show you. Not to be you. confused with Claudia from Interview of Vampire. No, different people. Um, there we go. You can you can now start making puns. <clears throat> I just feel like, like I this is why I hate a lot of modern vampire movies because everything is style over substance. It's like everything is drenched in some kind of bullshit filter. Mm-hmm. It's all about selling fucking soundtracks and like aesthetic and less about the characters okay. like underworld is a prime example of mm-hmm. this and this movie is also a prime example so of this. i'm gonna not defend this movie but kind of excuse this movie a little bit from your rant on this this movie was specifically made because warner brothers were about to lose their oh yeah i know to yeah. the anvil to the that was another thing i was gonna say so they literally put this together and pushed out of their ass as quickly as possible so that they could hold on to the rights for something that they were never going to make any more of. Mm-hmm. Because they were assholes, let's be honest. I have to ask you a question, though. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll we'll cut to the chase real quick on this one because I just want to know your answer okay. before I get too deep into it. Interview Vampire comes out in 1994. Mm-hmm. Massively successful. Mm-hmm. Critically, commercially, the whole nine yards, right? Yeah. If they put this movie into production straight after so mm-hmm. same cast same everything tom cruise's lestat what does that movie look like i think if they'd have made it straight after interview like they should have let's be honest it would have been a lot truer to the original also i feel like it w- they wouldn't have made this they would have made because we're missing a middle part of the story mm-hmm. kind of so, for anyone who's never read the books, I'll give you a quick rundown over the first three. So, Into the Vampire is Louis' story. Mm-hmm. Story of how Louis became a vampire and his interactions with Lestat. I kind of think, from what I know, is it was originally supposed to be a standalone story. Yeah. And then Anne Rice basically fell in love with her characters, as she was wanting to do. And then what continued. a shock. She fell in love with Lestat as a character and kind of wanted to know his story. So, uh, the Wait, following that, two books... is that the same thing that happened with Stephanie Meyer? Is that how come we got Midnight Sun? No, I don't mean like she fell in love like I want to bang Lestat. I think it was just she was very interested as to where his character could go yeah, from how but... he's presented. Uh, no, um, Stephanie Meyer quite literally wanted to fuck Edward. Oh, That's what happened there. Um, anyway, so she then wrote the two next books in the series, which are Interview of the Vampire and Queen of the Damned. Mm-hmm. Nope. The Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned. If you read the two of them together, you can kind of skip interview. I wouldn't recommend you did if you've ever read the book, so you can kind of skip it. But the two books are kind of one whole story. 
So they're both bookended by Lestat becoming a rock star in the 80s, but the actual books themselves, the majority of it, is the story of how vampires were created, um, Lestat's entire backstory, so where Lestat came from, uh, the stories of the ancient ones, uh, the story of those who must be kept, and a lot of other vampires you meet throughout the book as well, so you get like an explanation of like um, who, who Akashen and Enkil are, you get Mahara and Maker's backstories, like you meet Marius, you find out about Lestat's actual sire because it's not Marius, guys. Don't want to break it to you. Um, so if they'd have made um, it after interview, I feel like we would have got a true representation of what these books should have been. Because the beautiful thing about uh, Lestat and the Queen of the Damned is that it is an entire contained story and it is where vampires came from mm -hmm. it's the entire history starting with uh those who must be kept which is akasha and enkil well, i don't think you're ever referred to as that in this film yeah. they're actually called those who must be kept what happened to them so how they became vampires because they're the first ever vampires yeah and then how they ended up stone mm-hmm um, and because like when they turn to stone they basically a lot of the old ones all turn to stone as well there's a whole fucking there's a mythology in like a series like a series of things and it gets weirder the longer the series goes on and like the last two books make it a bit funky but uh, there's a lot of like backstory missing this and half of the characters don't get names because like you you never find out that Pandora is Pandora in this. You don't find out that the blonde guy is supposed to be our mind. Yeah, it's like a lot of guesswork. It's a lot Banderas. of if you know, you know sort of stuff. Yeah, if you're, a, if you're a fan of the books, you kind of vaguely know. But you have to kind of take a guess because in the books there are 13 vampires present at the, um, at the massacre mm -hmm. and at Akasha's death. Which there's only seven of them. Mm-hmm. Six? I don't know. But yeah, there's not 13 vampires, I can tell you that now. Um, but they skip out a lot, they skip out uh, the premonitions all the vampires are having. They miss out Akasha basically flying all over the world and like encouraging women to uh, rise up and kill all the men. Which is like an actual plot point in the book. Set in the mod like that's part of the modern day story as well, the story that they're t trying to tell in these, this film. Um, Akash is like flying all over the world trying to convince the women to rise up and murder all the men. That's a thing. <laughs> so what do you think of them transplanting the story to like 2002 and basically making it a new, like a film about a new metal star? The thing is, is them moving <laughs> it to 2002 and making him a new metal artist doesn't bother me because in the books he is a rock star, <clears throat> regardless of what era it was. He is a rock star. So in the book, he's like an 80s rock star. So in my head, I'm like, hey, he did hair metal. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that's what my brain like provides. Or he would have been a new romantic. Or a or, new romantic. Yeah, I feel like, like he would have been more like Yeah, he would have been romantic. like doing some fucking Duran Duran flock of seagull shit. He'd have been, he'd have been uh, dancing around, singing about love and shit. And I van. He'd have, he'd have, he'd have, he'd have been kind of like, I feel like he would have been very much like down the line of like The Cure and The mm -hmm. Smiths. And stuff like that. I can imagine like, him singing <laughs> I ran by the flocks. He goes, and I ran. I ran so far away. Why does he sound like a bad Transylvanian vampire? Because that's how Stuart Townsend... He doesn't. Like, his he fucking no, he doesn't. So no, he doesn't. He sounds just vaguely Eastern European. Almost like they went, he's European. And Stuart Townsend went, from where? And they were like, Europe. And he's like, 
Okay. And, like, just, um... throw, just throw a fucking dart at a dartboard, whichever European country you hit, that's where he's from. Now, I will defend, because obviously you said they are two polar opposites of Tom Cruise and Tom, and Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> I'd Tom Hiddleston would have killed it. He was amazing. Um, Tom Cruise and Stuart Townsend playing Lestat. And I see where you're coming from, but I, I always feel a little bit like watching both movies as they both play Lestat. They just play very different parts of Lestat's personality. Yeah. Because Stuart Townsend does this magnificent job of kind of giving you that kind of charming, very cat-like um, brat. Mm-hmm. Whereas... Tom Cruise's list at is more like uppercut, um, quite well put together. Still bratty, but so, he's more he's more the royal side of Lestat yeah. instead of being the very much brat side of Lestat. So the way I view them is Lestat is a sociopath. Lestat kind of reminds me of everything that he has written to be in the books or the parts that I've read. Like he reminds me a lot of um Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Django Unchained. Like, this really rich, unhinged plantation owner who, like, demands everything because he's always had everything and he has this really sinister side. Whereas, like, Stuart Townsend's Lestat looks like he sells fucking seat feet pics on fucking OnlyFans. So and he just wafts about like this a is, fucking idiot. This is kind of the problem I have. So, in interview, Lestat is supposed to be, like, monstrous and a sociopath yeah. and he's cruel and horrible. Because that is specifically the way Louis views Lestat. Right. So the version of Lestat you get in Interview with a Vampire is not actually Lestat. Okay. Because we're told, well, Lestat's a monster. Because yeah. he turned me into a vampire and look what he did to Claudio. And, and Louis he's so is vicious an unreliable and narrator. Very unreliable narrator. Louis is a fucking wet blanket. And then the other books are told from Lestat's point of view. So again... Lestat is kind of portrayed in more of kind of like the anti-hero, like foppish. He, he puts He's it. lounging across <laughs> things going, oh my God, yeah. everything went wrong. He puts himself over a lot. Yeah, so like neither of the books are told with reliable narration yeah. because they are told from the point of views of characters. And then you hit like, um, books later on in the series, you get other people's views as well. So you kind of start to get a rounded view of who Lestat actually is. Um... But yeah, I think I can see what you mean. Like he's a sociopath, but then when you get to know Lestat in the further books, you're like, mm. he's not really because just prior to an uh, interview with a vampire happening in Lestat's timeline, like, so he's hanging out. He got turned to a vampire. His his uh, maker killed themselves immediately, so he had nobody to teach him to become a vampire. He turned his mum into a vampire, and his mum tried to seduce him. Because that happens. He then turns his boyfriend into a vampire. And his boyfriend, like, literally directly before this happened, becomes suicidal and tries to kill himself. And basically Lestat leaves him because Nicholas doesn't want him around anymore. And Nicholas creates the Theatre of of Vampires, who we meet in interview. Uh, And then literally, I think it's like maybe like a week after Lestat leaves, uh, he throws himself into the sun and kills himself. So, like, when you meet him in an interview, he's literally just lost the love of his yeah. life, basically. Which I think is why he's slightly crueler, because he's kind of going, well, what's the point of anything? Um, <clears throat> was there a specific reason why this movie is more uh, Queen of the Damned based and is Queen of the Damned rather than the vampire Lestat? Is it is it to take advantage of the burgeoning, like, alternative scene of a time? So, basically, um, it's not really Queen of the Damned base. So, like I said, the story that is this... I think I've said it a few times on the podcast. The story that this film is, is, like, 
the first four chapters of the vampire Lestat and then like the last two and then like the first four chapters of Queen of the Damned mm -hmm. and then the last two and they've basically just chopped them out of the books put the four parts together and gone there we go yeah fuck all of the in-between book which is like the That's actual I mean. interesting a... bit I think it was just that it was cheaper to make this way and they didn't have to go into all the rigmarole of building like this because the book themselves take place over the space of like 3,000 years yeah so like it's a lot of stuff and like a lot of it is set in like Egypt and like uh, you're set in like France and Rome and it's set all over the world and it's, it's always if ever you get a chance to read the books I would really encourage you to do so because like it's they're these beautiful set pieces and you find out like about there's like parts of it are set in like the the like more England way I mm -hmm. think and there's like a druid priests who like worship a vampire who's like trapped inside this tree there's like, like weird stuff happens in these books but i think it was just more that they were like we could spend the money and do all of this stuff and that's going to take us forever and we'll probably have lost rights by then or we could just take the really easy bits that are just like oh he's a rock star oh my god there's a queen of all vampires let's kill her slam that together and go there we go that's a film I don't know why, I'm assuming it was called The Queen of the Damned because it sounds slightly more interesting than The Vampire Lestat. Yeah, also it's like, I guess it's a recognisable IP as well, isn't it? It is it's a more It's a more recognisable IP for It's people. more of a, it's a more, I think, well, anyone who's Anne Rice fan would have, they, they'd have gone, it's The Vampire Lestat, and they'd have gone, it's The Queen of the Anne Rice book, it's the next one from interview, let's go. Um, I think they'd made it Queen of the Damned because it's more, it'll draw more people in. Than just people who are fans of Anne Rice. And they took the Vampire Chronicles name off of it, which is interesting. They did. Wait, is um, no, because it's not an interview either. It is. is it? Yeah, the T-shirt I've got has got the poster on it, and it says the uh, interview of Vampire, and it says underneath it the Vampire Chronicles. Because I've got the T-shirt with the. Uh, that. I've got a T-shirt with the interview of Vampire poster on it. With yeah, that's the picture there that I've got. That one? Yeah, and underneath it it says the Vampire Chronicles on the t-shirt I've got. I think that might be t-shirt specific, babe. Oh, wait, hang on. There we go. Uh, oh, yeah, the Vampire Chronicles. Yeah. Brad Pitt, Stephen Maria, Antonio Banderas and Christian Slater. Because mm. that's the exact picture I've got just with the actor's names taken off of Drink it. Drink from me and live forever. That's what it says on the back of the t-shirt. Yeah, and the Queen of the Damned one is um, an all-shoot... Um, and all she wanted no, it's the, the mother of all vampires. All she wants is hell oh, on no. earth. Yeah. Which I love. I think it's a great uh, tagline. So what was, like, the, the, the film aside, because the film is what it is, um, what was Anne's Royce act, Anne Royce's actual involvement in this? Like, was she... Um, she wasn't so, involved as much in no, the first movie, she, was she? I don't remember how involved she was in Interview, because I know she always praised Interview. She was a big fan of Interview. I love the fact that she took out a fucking newspaper we, ad that was two pages. To apologise to Tom, Tom Cruise. <laughs> she didn't think he'd be able to pull off Lestat. And she was like, no, he did it. I will apologise. And she stood because she was like very much, she was very verbal. She was like, I don't think he can do this. And then when he did, she was like, no, I must formally apologise and make it very clear to everyone that I love his performance. And I like that about her. She was yeah. very much a woman of like, I was wrong. I will admit it. I will eat shit. <laughs> like, yeah, like I will put my hands up and I will like, make a fool of myself in public to admit yeah. to my faults which i really love about her as a person um so she wasn't very involved from what i know she offered to write the script yeah. she said to them like for free i will write the script for this film for you so like it's actually my take on my books like 
for free as well. Like she yeah. wasn't like paying me and I'll do it. She was like, if you want, like I can come and I can do it. Like it's not a problem. I can, we'll do it together. Like it's fine. And they were like, no, 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 we don't want you involved. She met Stuart Townsend because she gave him a copy of the Mayfair Witches and was like, oh, uh, do you want to, like she's like, oh, here's a book. Like uh, turn to page, I can't what page it is. And literally the title on the pages are The Life and Times of Stuart Townsend. And she always, like, it was quite funny that he was named after a character in her book. Obviously not specifically, but... Uh-huh. Um, and he was like, oh, I can't believe you named a character after me. And she's like, no, 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 no. I wrote this before I knew who you were. <laughs> it's fine. Um, which I think is hilarious. But she disowned this film. Yeah. She's seen it once. Had seen it once, should I say. And she hated it. So much. <clears throat> she just dis- disowned it. <laughs> I mean, I can understand why. I mean... Not not just as someone who... I, I have very, like, uh, apathetic feelings towards this film. I If somebody puts this movie on in the background, I will sit and watch it. Um, there are things that I like about this movie. There are things that I don't like about this movie. And it's the same thing that I, I dislike about a lot of movies from that era. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a particularly well-made film. I think half of the cast know what kind of movie they're in. And the other half of the cast don't. Because there, there are some people in this movie that are trying. Like, really trying. And there are other people in this movie that are like, I could not give any it's less of a fuck. It's really interesting, though, because you watch the film and, like, you expect the people to be trying to be people who, like, the like Stuart Townsend, who, to be fair, he tries. Mate, Vincent Perez is acting like he's in fucking Shakespeare in Yeah, Vincent Perez. To be fair, you say there are people who don't really try. I think the only person who doesn't really try is um, Marguerite Moreau. Yeah. Because the rest of them, like, Vincent Perez Paul is McGann trying don't give hardest. a fuck. Paul McGann <clears throat> is just doing Paul McGann shit. Paul McGann like, paid off his like... house making this movie. <laughs> but the thing is, is he still tries. Like, he's still yeah, putting yeah. effort in. Like... But the people, to me, who give the most effort in this film are basically Maharet and the unnamed vampire crew. Yeah. Like, they are legit working for their paycheck. I mean, there's one... They th- do some great silent acting in the background. <laughs> there's one thing I will say about this movie, and it's the one praise I will give it before we start talking about the soundtrack later on. This movie is an excellent showcase for Aaliyah. Oh, um, yeah, obviously, Aaliyah had in been in films before this. She She'd been in Romeo, Romeo Must Die. That's it. Yeah, with Jet Li, yeah. which is an incredible film. Never seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's the way there's, you know the song, um, If At First You Don't Succeed, Dust Yourself Off and Try Again. Yeah, that no, comes from that soundtrack. Um, that's a fucking excellent movie. Um, this movie is an incredible showcase mm-hmm. for her because it was her first starring role or her only starring role, should I say. Um, And she gets to do so many things with such a limited screen time. And, like, I know this this is meant to be Stuart Townsend's movie, and I know it's meant to be all eyes on Lestat, but the minute she walks on screen, whether it's one of the three films that she's in, she is absolutely electric, and you cannot take your eyes off of her. The scene where she goes into the Admiral's arms... And she fucking destroys everybody oh, and takes it. that heart. And that is the eats scene it. of the movie. Yeah. That scene is phenomenal. The way that she kind of like weaves in and out of the people. Like you can tell that she was a dancer because there's things that she does with her body that like she feels like someone who is hundreds of years old. Yes. And like you there's a specific type of theatre acting and dance movement that you can 
can teach, but you can't teach it the way that she does it. Mm -hmm. That is all instinct. And she is absolutely incredible in this movie. And it's a real shame that like she never got to see the movie and got to see. Because whenever I talk to anybody about this movie, there's two things that people bring up. Aaliyah. Aaliyah and the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and it's a real shame because they they had plans to make that to have her and Jonathan Davis duet together. Yeah, Kasha's Lament, isn't it? No, that's a different song. Oh, is it? Yeah, uh, I looked it up. It is a different song. The duet they never actually wrote um, because she obviously tragically passed away. But yeah, she is the one thing. And in like as someone who had read the books when mm-hmm. they were younger. How does she, like we talk about Stuart Townsend's performances list that how does she stack up oh as how Akasha is written? I so you never really get to know too much about Akasha except the fact that she's kind of very heartless. And she's she's very evil. Like, very nice, very evil. Very nice, very evil. No, she's like and most of the characters in the Vampire Chronicles are quite redeemable characters. Akasha is one of those characters that there's not really a redeeming quality to her. And she is, from what I remember, it's been a very long time since I've read the earlier books. Um, she is very um, magnetic. And I think Aaliyah does such a phenomenal job. Because there's not a moment that I'm watching it where I don't doubt that she is like a... 3000 year old egyptian royalty vampire like she is the mother of all vampires in the world and she is like a queen yeah and that she could tear you apart without even breaking a sweat like there is no point watching her where i question that i'm like nope a mortal vampire definitely thousands of years old 100 percent would kill me and i'll literally stab her wrist i'm into it i'm into it um, but I think she's great. I think she's she's probably my favourite part of the film because she she doesn't show up until like fifty minutes in, and then she steals the entire movie. Yeah, she's the only problem I have with the um, treatment of Akasha in this movie is I felt like they rushed the ending. Like I found like she was too easy mm. to defeat. So in the book, she's easy to defeat as well. She's just very cocky. So this is the thing I love about her in the Vampire Chronicles is Akasha is very cocky because she can kill vampires by literally a twist of her hand and they'll immolate or she can tear their hearts out. She moves exceptionally quickly. She's quite cocky. And in the book, um, I think it's Maquette. I don't think it's Maharet. Basically comes at her from nowhere. Like she's behind her. She's like hiding in like a cupboard. Was on the hub where she is, which is like in a cupboard. And Akasha's not paying attention, and she literally just comes from nowhere and beheads her. Fuck. Because Akasha, th- Akasha is so convinced that she is unbeatable and she's all powerful and immortal, she's not watching her own back. Yeah. And Lestat's not watching her back because he doesn't actually want to join her. And yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it's Macare. <clears throat> literally just beheads her and then rips her. It's her. <clears throat> like, so in the book. Yeah, because isn't the whole point of, like... I've, it's very muddled in this film. Isn't the whole point of, like, Lestat getting close to her so that she lets her guard down so, she, so that she will get killed so that he will, like, take I don't her, think it's take ever her a place plot. on the throne? I don't think it's ever the That's plot. kind of what he's attempting I think, to do. No, though, so it? he's never trying to take her place. Basically, he's... He's kind of realised... He kind of realises that Akasha is actually 
not what he wants and he's like actually you're kind of really evil and you want to kill all humans and i because he has a comment earlier in the film where he talks about how he loves humanity because mm-hmm. they're so bright and their hearts and all he there's a monologue he gives about how humans are great and uh she then later in the film says she wants to destroy all of humanity yeah. and he, vampires will ruin, rule the earth and that's the moment when lestat's like actually i don't think i want this i think we should probably kill her so he <clears throat> decides to kill her when she offers him her blood hmm. and then like marius kind of clicks on it she's like oh, lestat's on our side quick attack you know um but yeah. it's really quite everything so in the book they all do the fun kung fu movie thing where they all run at her one at a time as well. <laughs> yeah, they go. There's like four of them all attack her at the same t- same time. They're all like, pew, pew, pew. but um. So I'll stop talking about the books eventually, but it really irritates me because the the thing with the book and her death in the book is so in the book we are introduced to Maharet, who you meet in the film mm-hmm. is Jessie's aunt. Uh, you also meet Maharet's twin sister, Makar. Yeah. And in the book, all of the vampires end up with Maharet because they're all having visions of red-headed twins, mm-hmm. which are Maharet and Maquette. So Maharet, Maharet and Maquette were the third and fourth vampires. No, second and third vampires made by Akasha. Right. So Akasha and Enkil become vampires. They turn their guard, and then their guard turns Maharet and Maquette. Akasha doesn't like this, so she rips Maharet's eyes from her head, Maquette's tongue from her th- from her mouth, puts them in coffins and sets them to sea in separate directions. That's grim. Yeah. Akasha is not a nice person. And basically, they've spent the last five centuries basically ripping the tongue and eyes from their kills mm-hmm. to keep, like, so that my Maharat can see. I don't remember if Makar actually takes the tongues and, like, implants them into her mouth. I feel like she probably doesn't. Um, but basically, they're all having these visions of the red-headed twins in their story. And then when... Um, the twins reunite they kill Akasha and then they perform an ancient ritual that was basically the ritual of their people that got banned by Akasha and she became the queen of I'm pretty sure it is what is now modern day Egypt mm-hmm. um, in which they remove her brain her heart and they eat them lovely and one of them eats Akasha's brain and the other one eats Akasha's heart and then they become the queens of the damned. So they become the queens of all vampires. Because you're... It's a really old, like, religious practice. And it, we would eat your ancestors' heart and brain and take, basically, them into you. Right. It's like a transference of their soul. So you would always have a part of them with you. Okay. And that's what they do to Akasha. So they take her powers into themselves and become the new queens of the damned. Because the vampires are actually possessed by a demonic creature that's in their blood. Okay. Yeah. That sounds... Uh, it's very things. convoluted trying to explain it when you don't have the full background. Yeah, Because obviously saying. there's a lot of stuff that goes down in the books that kind of makes this all very... It's like a step-by-step. They hold your hand and they're like, this is what happened. And then these things happened. And then this stuff happened. And you're like, oh, this all makes very much sense. But you don't have all of that. It's very convoluted. Yeah, it sounds well bonkalonkos. But yeah, so basically Akasha and Enkil were possessed by a uh, demon that got in through a wound in Enkil. And uh, uh, basically possessed him and turned him into a vampire. And then he turned Akasha into a vampire. Nice. Yeah. So... Vampires. 
And then you get to the end of this book series and things get fucking crazy. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it in case anyone wants to read, but like, the last few books of Vampire Chronicles just get fucking weird, man. Isn't one of them he's like a fucking the king of Atlantis? So it is uh, Prince Lestat and then Prince Lestat and the realms of Atlantis. So you can imagine. A bit freaking crazy up in here. Fucking vampires living. Does he actually like live in Atlantis? Mm-hmm. That's the movie I want to see. Yeah, he does. He becomes the ruler of Atlantis. Okay. Um, should we do our soundtrack? Yes. Go on, because I know that you're really hyped about <laughs> the soundtrack. You go. So Lestat's singing voice. I love the fact that the um, I don't know if it's the same in the comic in the comic book in the. Book. novel but i like the fact that they make a reference to the vampire lestat in this movie by having his band called that yeah i can't remember the band's called in the book i have a feeling the band might be called the vampire lestat in the book as well i think that is actually like canonical but in the film he is musically when he's singing voiced by jonathan davis he is from corn uh, Metal Hammer magazine actually just did an interview with Jonathan Davis about the film for the 20th anniversary of this film, and he was talking about how he basically read a bunch of Anne Rice books, hung out with Anne Rice, and learned to write lyrics from the perspective of a 40 year, a 400 year old vampire. Um, and he was saying about how bummed out he was that obviously he never got to um, be on this actual soundtrack. Mm. He's like, because obviously at the time, Corn. And him were signed to a specific label. Yeah, they and could. then Warner Brothers couldn't allow him to be on the soundtrack because of rights issues. Um, but obviously in the movie, all the songs as they are performed by Lestat in the movie are performed by Jonathan Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fucking awesome. Like, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I don't want to bore people. But I am like a lifelong Korn fan. Like, Korn are one of my all-time favourite bands. And... I've seen that band more than any other band on the fucking planet because I just love them so much. Um, and I think I said this to you when we were watching it. I said, I think that the Jonathan Davis, for me, was the perfect choice to voice Lestat because he has a, a, a very otherworldly sounding voice. Yes, like, Jonathan yes. Davis can do a lot of things with his voice. Mm-hmm. He can do a lot of, like, sensual things, like whispering things, but he can also do, like, the scatty, like, boom, back, boom, back. Which, which the he does not doesn't do. do which Thank really... fuck. <laughs> I would have just loved to have had a scene of like Lestat scattered out. It would have been hilarious. No. So I think as a, as like as a songwriter and as like an artist, Jonathan Davis has a lot of versatility, especially vocally. Um, and I think his vocals really suit the film. And there's five songs. They wrote five songs for the movie. Uh, Redeemer... Forsaken, not meant for me. Slept so long, and system. That's and you one. hear four of them in the film. I don't think you hear system in the film. I'm trying to think now. Because you hear remember. Redeemer. Redeemer's playing in the Admiral Arms when she kills everybody. It's the song that's in the background because mm-hmm. the music video is playing. Forsaken is playing at the video at uh, the beginning. Not meant for me. I think is woven into the score. And then Slept So Long is the one that he plays at the Death Valley gig when they all attack him. I think I'm right in saying though, System is the only one. Unless it's playing in the background, like when they're talking about the album, it's on like one of the newscasts or like in the background of the press conference or something. I think it's the Maybe. only one that's not in the film. Um, I really like the soundtrack. So 
I was a new metal kid. I am kind of still a new metal adult. I have a playlist on my Spotify, which is all new metal, called All the Singers That Are Mad At Their Dads. He does after say the, it's very true. After the Bowling For Soup song. Um, but yeah, like, I really appreciate the fact that, like, Jonathan Davis leans more into, like, his gothic side. Like, and the great thing is as well, like, there are instances in movies where you'll have... So, this is another point, like, when you see Dingo's Ain't My Baby in Buffy and Devon is singing, you never question the fact that that's actually four-star Mary playing because the guy who plays Devon pulls off being a front man. And I think the reason why this works is because of the way that Stuart Townsend performs the music scenes and performs the band scenes. Oh, yeah, 100%. He has a real, like, performative energy... And he's very convincing. And I said to you, like, if you watch videos of Jonathan Davis when he's younger performing, they move very similarly. And I think, like, I don't know if Stuart Townsend studied, like, any videos of Jonathan Davis singing or anything like that. But, like, his performance feels very natural. um, And never at any point. It's weird because, like... Because we're completely different. Like, you don't listen to Korn. I do. And especially at this time in your life when you first saw it, you never would have heard of Korn. But, like... It's interesting to me that I know that's Jonathan Davis's voice. I know Jonathan Davis's voice like the back of my hand. Yet at no point when I'm watching this movie am I like am I sat there going that's Jonathan Davis's voice. That is to me the stats voice. And like the songs are fucking all great as well. The songs are amazing. What I do love about um, especially the concert scene, the uh, Death Valley scene, is that those Stuart Townsend bless his fucking little heart. Uh, got in quite a lot of trouble because he kept singing, like actually physically trying to sing mm. the songs. <laughs> Obviously, like shit like that is not easy to do. And when you're shooting for like six, seven hours, screaming the lyrics, the fuck is it Forsaken they're playing? No, uh, Slept So Long. Slept So Long. Also, well, play, they play two different songs, so yeah. I don't even matter. But screaming the lyrics at the top of your lungs into a microphone, and they he kept getting told off. They were like, "You need to stop mm-hmm. because you're gonna hurt yourself." <clears throat> and he ended up blowing his voice. I think. Also, as well, like you think, like it's not actually filmed in California. It's filmed in Australia, it so it's dusty, Australia. it's dirty, it's you've but got the stage lights such on, a you, good you've time. got the heat as well, so that's all going to be like playing Yeah, I think he mentioned voice. it in an interview, and yeah, like he was having such a good time, he was like, I kept just singing along, forgetting that I wasn't supposed mm. to be, kept getting in trouble, and yeah, he, I think he did some like quite major damage to his voice. Because it's a joke in our house whenever I play corn, and you're like, ugh, and I'm just like, think of them as like vampire stat B-sides that you've never heard. <laughs> That is very true. Um, but yeah, no, the soundtrack to this film is fucking phenomenal. I have no idea who actually plays the band in the movie because they're all musicians. Um, I don't I know. I did. I, they have got. They're, they are cast on the cast list. They are the weakest part. But of I don't recognise any of their names or their faces. Like put them into bands. Do you? Oh, so I... playing the band. It's a Jonathan Devoy. Robert Farnham and Conrad Standish, like oh Megan Cooper who plays Mordy, mm. and that like those are the band, and I have no idea yeah. who any of them are. I will ask you one question though: Do you think they go one subplot too many in this movie? 
Because I feel like there's three concurrent plot lines that are running in this movie outside of the Lestat origin stuff. And I feel like they could have cut at least one of them. What plot lines do you think? I think they could have cut all the Talamascan stuff. Like, the movie never really... The, ne- the movie never really touches upon it in any meaningful way. It doesn't impact the story one way or another. And I feel like it's just another subplot that was conveniently there to explain Jesse's involvement in the film. Jesse could have been anybody. So Jesse in the book is uh, related to Maharet. Yeah. That is her thing. And I think, because like, the Talamasca are still, like, she is still a Talamasca. Yeah. But I think she's mostly introduced through the fact that she is... Maharet's yeah. descendant and they could have just dragged her in that way of yeah. her like because in the film it is referenced that she lived with Maharet as a child and she could have easily like when she was like unpacking a box found Lestat's journal mm-hmm. and became obsessed with them like they didn't need to because t- unless they were planning on making more the Talamasca plotline is kind of pointless because you don't really need David's character yeah. Apart from for his interactions with Marius. And this but... is kind of my argument with the film, is it's for its short runtime, it's spinning too many plates. You've got all of the Lestat origin stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Which is all incorrect anyway. Then you've got the band stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the Akasha stuff. Then you've got this little weird Talamascan subplot as well. And I'm like I could have easily done with them dropping the Talamasca plot line. And basically just adding in extra Akasha stuff. Yeah. So, like, her backstory. So, like, who she actually is. Because, yeah, they don't really ever address... I don't think they... I think they address Enkil by name once in this film. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't really address who Enkil actually is. And it's kind of heavily implied that he was kind of just Akasha's paramour. Yeah. And not the original vampire. Because Akasha isn't the first vampire. No. It's Enkil. Yeah. And they don't address any of that stuff. And I feel like Enkil gets really let down in this film. Yeah, he's just he's just in he's the business just of misery. He's just additional like he's literally just like <sighs> a spare part to be honest. Kill the spare. Um he is just in the business of misery. And yeah, it's just kind of like yeah, I would have rather them added in more stuff about Akasha's backstory. And probably, actually, I would have quite liked them to have actually kept Maquette in this and, like, addressed who Maharet and Maquette actually were. Because you don't, you find out nothing about, bearing in mind as well, so the vampires that are there um, are all ancient. Yeah. So they're all old ones. And they don't touch on that fact at all. Um, you completely... They don't even brush over the... They completely brush over the fact that two of the vampires there are Pandora and Armand. And yeah, they're f- like I feel like they spent so much time focusing on adding this romance subplot between Jesse and Lestat, which was not needed, that they kind of... A lot of the vampires that they added into this film really lose out on getting their moments. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they do them a disservice. Massive disservice. Also, one last thing we should probably talk about before we go into our final thoughts on this movie. Yeah. How fucking horny it is. It's very horny. This is a fucking... It's going to make you horny, baby. Like, I thought the first movie was horny. The first movie is also horny. But this movie is, like... The first movie is also super gay, though. This movie is, like, everybody's just having sex on sex on sex. 
Like, I'm surprised he isn't fucking his keyboard player at one point, to be honest. I mean, I feel like he should have been up for it. Yeah. Um, he, he, like, there's a lot of, like, everybody just wants to have sex with everybody else in this movie. Yeah. It's a very horny, horny film. Like, and that's another thing I could have done about as well. The scenes of all the groupies being all like, oh, let's that. Are you ticklish? Oh, he. Fuck off. It's pointless. Don't need it. Like you that have got, yeah, you've got a lot of stuff true. in this movie. This movie has a lot of ground to cover that it has cut out the books. Yet you've got time for him to sit there with two groupies while she goes, "Ha ha ha! Are you ticklish?" She goes, "I'm very ticklish." <laughs> Fuck off! It's nonsense. Apps. And that other girl was like, "Oh." I came all the way from wherever the fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. That fucking dinny oh, bird. Oh, she's come from. Yeah. Oh, I'm an Episcopalian. Yeah. No one gives a fuck, you fishy weirdo. Why don't you take our weirdo. Episcopalian back to church? Yeah. That's fucking nonsense. Could have cut both those scenes out <laughs> and put other more interesting shit in. Like, there is a whole bunch of unnecessary shit in this movie. Oh, yeah. And this is, this is what infuriates me, right? Is that they, like, I'm, like, as is well proven, I'm not a fan of the books. Mm-hmm. I live with an Anne Rice obsessive, mm-hmm. but I'm not one myself. But I feel like with anything, if you're going to take two books or a book or something and rip its guts out and condense it down to its basest form, at least make every single thing in that movie or TV series mean something and count and like there are too many scenes in this movie of bullshit nonsense that doesn't need to happen mm-hmm. like the scenes of the groupies don't need to happen there's fucking scenes where jesse's researching fucking shit that don't need to happen there's like maybe one too many fucking lestat flashback that we don't necessarily need like there's just a lot of nonsense in this movie that doesn't need to be in it where you are completely right they could have beefed up decide like they could have given a cash and more to do like you take out Lestat's flashbacks because you've marketed this movie as a fucking interview of a vampire sequel you take his flashbacks out and you put fucking Akasha's ones in like yep. in the place like for a movie you that's called Queen of the Damned they don't really seem to give a shit about the Queen of the Damned which is a fucking travesty yep. and I would love to know I, I honestly would love to know if this is the whole movie, or if there are like fucking deleted scenes somewhere, there or like are a whole some on other the DVD, cut. but it's not very much. Yeah, or like there's a whole other cut because I'm. Fa- I don't think there is. I think this is literally what they made. Like I am fascinated by how much of an absolute misfire this movie the is. The thing is, as well, is it is so obvious when you watch it that they gave it to people to make who have no have probably never read the Anne Rice books Mm -hmm. and have no respect for what they are making at all. In fact, the guy who directed this after making this film has never directed another movie. Yeah. Jonathan Davis, as a man writing songs for this movie, has a greater understanding of who the character of Lestat is than any other fucker involved in this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's quite shocking. Yeah. And he's in the movie. He is in the movie. His cameo is so funny. funny. Um, But yeah, so hopefully... We cross our fingers and we hope and pray that over the next couple of years, we will get a true and loyal adaptation of potentially, and I'm going to fucking say it, one of the most influential and the most important series of vampire books outside of Dracula. Mate, the most important. 
Because Dracula's a one and done. Yeah. The, well, yeah, the most important and like um, culturally significant vampire book series mm-hmm. in existence. I honestly can't think of another series of vampire books. I think the only one that would come close, and like it's still a fucking long margin, would be Charlene Harris's Southern True Blood. Vampire yeah, the True books. Blood books. Yeah, and then probably Twilight actually. Because yeah. as much as I don't respect those books, they did have a huge impact culturally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would I would say hopefully with the Vampire Chronicles TV show being made, we will finally get a true adaptation of um, the Chronicles and get to see the characters. And they're making the Mayfair Witches as well, which is really exciting news for anyone who's a fan of the Vampire Chronicles yeah. and the Mayfair Witches. Which, to be fair, I always refer to them as two separate things. They're really all the same book mm-hmm. series because they're so interconnected with each other. <laughs> Let me tell you though, folks... When we cover Interview with a Vampire later on in this in the year, oh, it's going to be a very different episode. Such a different episode, because I adore that film. I love that film. I mean, I like this film, but I like this film if I think of it as anything except an adaptation of Anne Rice's work. I'm like, it's a fun, schlocky vampire film. Someone's like, it's an adaptation of Anne Rice book. I'm like, go wash your fucking mouth out, I'm bitch. interested to see what Byzantium is like. Because Neil Jordan, who made... Um, not Neil Jordan or Neil Berger. Whoever it is who directed... Um, it's either, No, Neil Berger's the guy who made... Um, the it doesn't matter either way. Neil man. Jordan, who directed Interview with a Vampire, he made Byzantium, which is the lesbian vampire movie I thought with they were mother and daughter. No, it's, it, it's got Sasha Ronan and Gemma Arterton in it, but it's like a lesbian vampire movie. So I don't know if one of them is a lesbian with someone else or if they are lesbians together. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I've not seen it, but I'm pretty sure Saucy Ronan is supposed to so, be Argerton's daughter. So I'm kind of intrigued just to see... Or they play it off as yeah, being mother and daughter. I'm kind of intrigued just to see how he deals with a similar story, but, but like with women. With women. Yeah. Uh, I may have to check that movie out at some yeah, point. Yeah, I've never seen it. We can watch it. Yeah, I want to watch it. Um, what are your final thoughts on quote of the day? <laughs> quote of the day. Uh, is Queen of the Damned a good adaptation of its source material? Fuck no. No. Is Queen of the Damned a good vampire film? Not really. Is it fun, mindless bullshit you can put on that's under two hours? Yeah. And it moves at a pretty reasonable pace as well. Like You never do quite realise exactly how long this film is. So a great soundtrack. I mean, I'm I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a two star rating. On its twentieth anniversary, though, how do you think it's held up? I think it, the 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 vampire fast moving shit not great, uh, but there's a film as a whole like it's held up reasonably well. I... If you like <clears throat> new metal, if you are not into new metal, this movie is probably your worst nightmare. I think it's aged better in some respects than what Dracula two thousand has. Oh yeah, massively. But I think I think that's just by sheer virtue of like the fact that they don't take many big swings with the story. Like the thing with Dracula two thousand is it lives and dies by the big swing that they take of who Dracula is. And to be fair, that is one of the greatest vampire yeah. plot twists. Um, and I don't. I I, I would. Lo- I'd be fascinated to know how that plays now for someone seeing that movie for the first time. I'd yeah, have to watch someone watch that moment for the first time. I think like I think I'm in the same boat as you. Like this movie was always going to be viewed differently by me than it was you because I've never read the source material. But I think it's one of those movies that is very clearly a cash grab. They very clearly rushed out to obviously keep the rights, and you can tell that because there's no love 
passion or attention to detail or like respect for the source material. They set it primarily in a time period where they knew that like a certain audience would go and see it. They knew even if Anne Rice diehards wouldn't go and see this, they knew that like kids my age at that time that were like chowing down on fucking corn and Limp Biscuit were probably going to go and see this. They were like, yeah, there's a whole generation of teenage goths that will go and see this movie. And I think that's what they were kind of hoping for. Um, I don't think it's held up particularly well over 20 years. I think it's a shame that this movie, along with her music, is kind of what Aaliyah's enduring legacy is. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the last thing that she's known for. And I think that's kind of a shame. Like, she's incredible in it, but it feels like she's the only one that is incredible in it. Mm. So, like, the movie should be remembered and should be watched for her performance alone. Yeah. But I think she deserved a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally would give it three out of five, but that's a lot of that is for the soundtrack. A lot of that is for Jonathan Davis's involvement. And a couple of really cool scenes, like the Admiral Arm scene and the Death Valley scene. I feel scene. like I might up mine to a three, actually. Because um, the thing is, I, I kind of put mine down a bit, because I was like, am I rating it a three for sheer nostalgia sake? Yeah. It's not the worst vampire movie out there. Oh, God, no. Not I mean, by a long shot. I mean, we're probably going to talk about that in a few months' time. <laughs> Underworld. Um, but, I mean, I, don't, I also don't think it helped that with this movie at the time that Blade came out two weeks prior to it. And Blade, like, in the UK, Blade 2 was still absolutely smashing the back doors in because it's a fucking great film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think this movie was as good as what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I would say a three out of five. I mean, I would say it's one of those movies you can quite easily just put it on in the background. It's a working-from-home background noise movie and you just kind of listen to the soundtrack. Um but yeah, it is a real shame to kind of see the greatness of like what Interview of a Vampire been. and what could have been had they made this movie in the 90s when Hollywood was taking gothic literature more seriously, when we had films like Mary Kelly and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and Wolf and Bram Stoker's Dracula. And it seemed like Hollywood was making a conscious effort to get A-list stars in adaptations of really high-end gothic literature and they were making these big productions, and then you see this fucking thing get shut out eight years later, and it's just like, come on, man, like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Um, but yeah, that would be my feelings on it. It's not a movie I want to watch again anytime soon. <laughs> um, but you know, You're like, give me twenty years and I might watch it. Again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Incidentally, I do listen to the soundtrack quite a lot though. I think I'm pretty sure I still have the actual soundtrack on CD somewhere. Mm. But yeah, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to say before we wrap this up? Not really. Um, I think it's a an alright film. It's not a great adaptation, but it's alright. Come up, come up, whatever you are. See you all in Death Valley. All right then, that concludes our thoughts on Queen of the Damned. Do you guys like Queen of the Damned? Have you seen Queen of the Damned? Share your thoughts. Uh, come find us on social media, S-I-M-A-H-F pod on Twitter. So I'm married, Tumb- uh, so I'm married a Tumblr. So I'm married a horror fan on Tumblr and Instagram, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, we will be back next week with 2004's Universal Monster Romp starring Huge Action and... Proving that she made a career out of making shitty vampire movies, Kate Beckinsale. Yay! Watching Van Helsing. Yes, we will be back next week for Van Helsing. 
you guys take care of yourselves. Stay spooky, stay safe, and we will see you all in the next one. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.